You cannot have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. You can't. You cannot have green pastures in which you can lie down unless there was a Jesus who went into the broken wilderness of our sin and picked it all up on the cross. You can't have quiet waters unless Jesus went through the storm of God's wrath to still it all for us. You can't. You can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. You can't have a Jesus who is going to walk with you through the darkest valleys of life unless Jesus decided to stay in the darkest valley of all for you. You can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. And you can't have Psalm 104 unless you got Psalm 103. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Oh, this is a fun time of year. We come out of the season of Easter. We get to celebrate some of the greatest festivals in the church we have. Last week, Ascension Sunday. This week, we get to celebrate Pentecost. Next week, we get to do Holy Trinity Sunday. So today, uh, and in these weeks, what we're doing is we're picking up psalms from the scriptures. We're going to pick up another one today. This is the chosen historic psalm for Pentecost. This is Psalm 104, a good chunk of it. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living creatures both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works he who looks at the earth and it, and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. The mother looks on. She sees her boy, now a man, stumble on the stony path. In her mind, it's juxtaposed because that boy, now a man, is always going to be her boy at some level. And she remembers how this has happened once before. Her boy had been running down the stony path, 
And he stumbled, and she watched the whole thing happen. And after it happened, she rushed up to him. And she took the little boy in her arms, and she said, I'm here. And he just melted in. And she thought it would be like that again. She sees this, her boy now, a man, struggling under this load of wood, and he And he stumbles and she rushes up to him and she says, I'm here. But this time he doesn't melt into her arms. This time he looks into her face. And and, and he says, behold, I make all things new. And he picks up his load of wood and he continues down the stony path. It's that scene from Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ that made that Jesus quote from Revelation 21 verse 5 pop out for me. It's one of the last Jesus quotes you get in all of the scriptures. Behold, I make all things new, he says. Such an important quote from Jesus. It is his mission. It is his purpose. It is what he has come to do by carrying the load of wood that was his cross. Behold, I make all things new. The implications of that are so huge. Jesus did not come to make all new things. He came to make all things new. Jesus doesn't take the things that are broken and that are wrecked and throw them into the trash. He takes them out of the trash and makes them right again. He doesn't make all new things. Jesus makes all things new. You know, we get this psalm. It's the historic psalm for Pentecost. When I first read it, I'm wondering to myself, why in the world did the church choose this psalm for Pentecost? Because it's kind of like playing Where's Waldo? Where's the Holy Spirit? You got to read and you read and you read. You finally get to verse 30 of the psalm and there he is. And that's when you understand. See, this psalm, It doesn't offer you the more provocative gifts of the Spirit. It's not going to put a tongue of fire on your head like it did the apostles. It's not going to be a violent sound of wind. What it's going to give you is the deep renewal of Jesus. The profound healing of Jesus making you new. He's going to do it in two ways through the psalm today. Two ways. Got two Ps. Jesus is going to send the Spirit to renew you today in playfulness and prayerfulness. Playfulness and prayerfulness. The poet starts out by putting you on the beach. He says, do you see it? There is the sea. Vast and spacious. 
innumerable living things, both large and small, in the sea. And you're on the beach and you're thinking to yourself, that's exactly why I'm on the beach and not in the water. Because last time I was in there, I got stung by a jellyfish, and the other time I kicked a fish. And then the poet says, do you see it? There on the sea, the ships go to and fro, even Leviathan, whom you formed, Lord, frolics there. And your mind goes wild. You should know that Leviathan in the Bible is the scariest beast you can find. Scariest one. The most mythic, scary beast in all the Bible. Sometimes in the Bible, he's a cipher or a symbol for nations, unbelieving nations that want to attack and hurt God's people. Other times in the Bible, like in Psalm 74, Leviathan is a symbol of everything that's antagonistic to God and his purposes and his good creation. Still other times, Leviathan is, is described in great detail, like in Job chapter 41. If you, if you want to get really scared of Leviathan, go open up Job chapter 41. You get this massive description of Leviathan, just how scary and terrible he is. Every other time in the scriptures, Leviathan is the scariest beast in the Bible. Except for here. All of a sudden in Psalm 104, instead of seeing this great mythic sea beast who is there to destroy and oppose God, you see the light glistening like diamonds off the waves and Leviathan playing and frolicking through it all. <laughs> it's like God has taken the scariest beast in all the Bible and he's turned him into this little girl, you know? This little girl who's frolicking through a field of daisies. There is Leviathan. God's rubber ducky. In God's tub. It's not too much to say that this is actually the climax. One of the climaxes of the psalm. The psalm, it takes you through all of God's creation. All of the pillars of God's creation, everything the psalmist says is friendly in the skies and not because of Delta. Everything is good on God's earth because God has, has made its foundations firm. Everything is good in the ocean. Even Leviathan is just frolicking and playing there. Everything is right everywhere in God's creation. So the grass is growing and, and the cows are eating and the, and the mountain goats are butting their heads on the mountains and, and the humans are gladdening their hearts with wine. Everything is right and humming and living and learning and dancing. Everywhere in God's creation, even the Leviathan plays. Now we're starting to get where I've been wanting to go. The translations, they try to deal with this idea that, that the, Leviathan, the Leviathan plays. Sometimes the translations will say that the Leviathan frolics. Sometimes... The translations will say that the Leviathan sports. 
And still other times the translations will say that the Leviathan plays. You ever had that out in God's creation? I had that the other day. One of my favorite things to do is go running out in the woods. Playfully, I took a path I never take. So I'm running down this path I don't really know. And I look up and suddenly I hear this snort. It's a deer. That's what they do when they're scared. And it's this little deer. You know, a little fawn. They're born this time of year. And the deer darts out from this, this bush about five or ten feet in front of me and I see this fawn beautiful little white spots and it starts going, bounding in great arcs in front of me. And I laughed out loud. There I was, I was a part of God's good creation. Me on a path in the woods with a deer and God. You know, I wonder if we were to draw our own little picture of God's creation or write our own little poetry, I wonder how it would look. We've got so much sin in us that we can be so egomaniacal about the whole thing. What would it look like if you drew a picture right now of you and God's creation? What would it look like sometimes like a big old picture of you with a cell phone in your hand? And God takes the picture out of your heart. And he says, no, this is how it is. The deer bound, and the puppies play, and the cows eat, and the clouds move across the sky, and you too are fed and cared for. See, when you see that, the Spirit uses that to gift in you the gift of playfulness. You know, it's like the utter abandon of the puppy <laughs> that is so secure in its home, it starts playing and doing what puppies do. They tug on ropes. It's the carelessness of faith of the bird, you know? The birds don't store up and eat. You know, the birds don't store up and plan and harvest and sow. Jesus taught us that. They fly around and then they find something because God, good and he always provides and, and it's the deep security of the Christian who lives and laughs and loves and knows that they too are cared for by God. You know this psalm, what it does when you start thinking about this is it asks you a really uncomfortable question. At least it did me. Do you always carry around the weight of the world? Do you ever play? There's a vaunted preacher. He once gave advice to other preachers. He really made me think about this. I think it applies to more than just preachers. He said, seriousness of purpose does not require heaviness of manner. Remaining light on your feet does not contradict, but honors the importance of your work. And being pleasant, cheerful, and full of good humor will serve your listeners as a sure sign of God's presence. You know, 
I've been realizing over the past few months that everything has felt so heavy, like so much like an emergency. I haven't played much. Have you? The Spirit, through the psalm, gifts in us this vision of God who cares and gives so that everything is satisfied and has joy all of the time. It's an amazing gift for us today. What it does is it it takes you from being too big for your britches, which is thinking that everything is on your shoulders and the world will stop revolving if you don't. But it also doesn't make you be too small in God's creation either. You're cared for. You're going to get what you need. Even the Leviathan has a purpose. You do too. So you can live your life with what I think of as the carelessness of faith. The puppy plays and tugs on the rope. Leviathan frolics off in the ocean and you can too. Here's a couple applications for you this. Let this change your vocabulary. Talk less about nature. Talk more about creation. Nature is about how things work. Creation is about how God makes everything work. Talk less about nature. Talk more about creation. And how about this? Spend less time behind a screen. You know, I've been wondering, what if? What if, what if people turned off their TVs and got off from behind their screens? I wonder if they'd be a little less nervous. And they went outside. And they felt the wind on their faces and they heard the the waves crash and they saw the, the dolphins delighting and being delightful out there in the ocean. Spend less time on screens. Spend more time in the green. And here's one last one on the Sunday before Memorial Day weekend. How about this? Stick your toes in the sand this summer. How about that? The pastor just told you to take a vacation. Stick your your toes in the sand. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Stick your toes in the sand. There is the sea. Vast and spacious. Even Leviathan plays. You can too. So the spirit in your life in God's creation renews in you the gift of playfulness. But the spirit also in your relationship with God renews in you the gift of prayerfulness. If we pick up the psalm where we left it off, which we should, which is with Leviathan, where we pick it up is with the common table prayer. Did you know that? This is the common 
table prayer. It's the prayer that many Christians have prayed for hundreds and hundreds of years before they eat their meals. It is the common table prayer. It's, we pray at our house. Lots of different prayers right before meals. Sometimes they're short. Sometimes they're long. But we almost always pray this one. It's the common table prayer. The one the catechism tells us to pray. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Amen. That's what we pray at our house almost every single meal prayer. It's the common table prayer. But did you notice what the table prayer leaves out? Verse 29. Maybe you can guess why verse 29 says this. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. Maybe you can understand why that gets dropped off the common table prayer. But maybe you can also understand why it's in the psalm. The poet wants to show you the way that your life with God works. You are utterly dependent on God. Look at the way the poet does it. The poet says, God gives food. Then we eat. The poet says, God opens his hands. Then we are satisfied. The poet says, God is the one who gives us breath. And he takes our breath away. And then we die. God gives. And when he doesn't, we die. It puts us in an utterly prayerful position. We are utterly dependent on God and his spirit for life. So what the poet does is he ramps this up all the way. It's one thing to thank God for food. It's another to thank God for breath. You know, we hardly think about it, right? In and out it goes. Your rib cage, it rises and falls, it rises and falls. You don't even think about it. In and out, in and out, it's so elemental. We barely think about it. Sometimes we think about it. Maybe we thought about it a little bit more over the past year of a friend who had to work through his fear of COVID. He did it with the help of God. He's re-engaged in life now, but he had, to, he had to work it through because he was a man who was older and he has asthma. So when COVID first hit, he had these visions of being on this vent, in and out. It goes, in and out, it goes. So we think about the value of breathing and Normally we don't. We just have these moments where it sort of breaks in on us in life. When you become a parent for the first time, you go into that crib and you check the crib and you go, phew, whew. they're still breathing. Or you're at the pool and suddenly somebody's under the pool a little bit too long and you go, phew, they came up. Good. 
in and out, you know? In and out the breath goes. We barely even think about it. Until the poet puts it right in front of your face. God gives food, we eat. God opens his, hand, his hands, we are satisfied. God hides his face, we are terrified. God takes away our breath and we die. When I was a kid, I was confronted with that most powerfully, I think, when I read a book. I think I was about 10. And the way it worked in the classroom of my teacher was that if you got done with your homework early, then you could go and read a book in the book nook. And I loved to read, so I'd get my homework done real fast, and then I'd go read a book in the book nook. And I was sitting there on this beanbag chair, and every time I went back there, I'd read a little bit more of Stone Fox. Stone Fox is a book about a dog. The way it goes is, is like this. There's this boy, he's about 10, and his grandpa, all of a sudden his grandpa wouldn't get out of bed. And the little boy didn't understand. The grandpa wouldn't get out of bed and he wouldn't talk or say anything. So the little boy is wondering what go, was going on. And so finally, somehow this little boy figures out what's going on. The grandpa was in debt for $500 on the farm. And there was a debt collector who was coming to take it. So the grandpa wouldn't get out of bed. He was so depressed. And so the little boy comes up with a plan. There was a $500 sled dog race he could enter. And if he won, he'd have $500 and be able to pay for the farm. So the little boy enters the race. It's him and this one dog. And he's against all the best mushers in the world. There was even this musher named Stone Fox who basically won every race. He's got all these dogs. And the race starts. The gun goes off. And the dog starts mushing. It runs and it runs and it runs and it runs. And the boy's in first place. He's in first place the whole time, but Stone Fox is right behind him. And he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs. And they can see the finish line. And this dog is so courageous. And then it finally loses its breath. It falls down dead. And Stone Fox is right there behind him. And Stone Fox takes out his rifle. And he won't let anybody else in the race pass. And the little boy takes up the dog's body and he carries his dog across the finish line. God gives food and we eat. God opens his hand and we're satisfied. God withdraws our breath and we die. And each one of us absolutely deserves it. For all the times we have lived as if we can live without God.
So the poet puts you in this utterly prayerful position. We can't really make the food, not really. Have you ever thought about what a miracle a watermelon is? How did that happen? (laughs) We can't satisfy ourselves, not really. If you strip away all of the control that we think we have in life, if you strip away the way that we construct our identities, if you look behind all of it, what you see in each one of us is an utterly dependent creature. We need God. We need him to send his spirit. And if he doesn't, we die. But this psalm says that he will. That he will send his spirit to us to take our dust from the ground, blow into it again, so that we may live. Do you know that that's what Pentecost is really about? It's the first resurrection. It's the resurrection of your spirit. It is God sending his spirit into your soul to renew in you the gift of playfulness. It's it's God sending the Holy Spirit into your soul to renew in you the gift of prayerful dependence on him. It's God renewing you in a relationship with himself. But that is just the first resurrection. The second resurrection is when he takes your body, which has decomposed into the dust of the earth, and he lifts it up and he blows into it again. He blows into it once again. And he will. He will. Because of Jesus. See? Because Jesus does not make all new things. Jesus makes all things new. That's the promise in this psalm. Do you know why you get it? You get it for the same reason you get Psalm 23. If you think about it, I just want to show this to you real quick. There's an important theological juxtaposition here. You cannot have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. You can't. You cannot have green pastures in which you can lie down unless there was a Jesus who went into the broken wilderness of our sin and picked it all up on the cross. You can't have quiet waters unless Jesus went through the storm of God's wrath to still it all for us. You can't. You can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. You can't have a Jesus who is going to walk with you through the darkest valleys of life unless Jesus decided to stay in the darkest valley of all for you. You can't have Psalm 23 without Psalm 22. And you can't have Psalm 104 unless you got Psalm 103. You're not going to have a God who wants to make his creation hum, even you, unless you have a God who wants to forgive you for wrecking it. 
You can't have a God who wants to take your broken clay and breathe into it again unless you have a Jesus who went to the deepest pit of hell to take you out of it. You don't get Psalm 104 unless you first get Psalm 103. But see, you do. You do have the God of Psalm 103, so you get the the God of Psalm 104. Christ has come to take your sin so that Christ can now send into you his renewing spirit. It wouldn't be Pentecost if I don't close this Pentecost sermon with these very very brief applications. Change your vocabulary. This time at at mealtime, say yes, less of yum and more of the common table prayer. The former makes you think about how delicious the food is, which is a good thing to do. But the latter helps you think about the God who gave it. Say yum less. Say the common table prayer more. And then move out of all these artificial realities that we've created for ourselves and realize that once you've stripped it all back, all of us are utterly needy creatures. In and out, in and out, our breath goes, we control None of it. That's when you start praying with the church. Do not cast your Holy Spirit from me, but renew him in my life. Prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to remain in your life. And then finally, how about this from a pastor? Come to church. Come to church. It's not a mystery how to receive the Holy Spirit. He's told you. Receive the word and the sacraments. To not receive the word is to not receive the Spirit. And to not receive the Spirit is to die. To receive the Spirit To receive the Spirit is to receive the Word. To receive the Word is to live. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful people. Fill us with a spirit of playfulness that comes from an utter security of living as one of God's creatures in God's good creation. Come, Holy Spirit, renew your faithful people. Renew in us an utter dependence on God that we might go into our lives and live out our cosmic purposes and that one day the Spirit might blow on our dust and renew it 
that our rib cage might go in and out and in and out and in and out forever. Amen. <laughs>